I'm going to ask you to stand again for the reading of God's word this morning. Again, from 2 Samuel 5, verses 1 through 5, we've been right here on this uh, piece of text for three weeks now. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David of Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I got up here a little early. Um, I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and uh, we continue in this final piece of this sermon um, that has been broken up into three sermons in three different parts. And um, I want to reemphasize what Pastor Josh said before I get started um, this morning, but um, please. Uh, be prayerful this week. Um, this 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 you know election week. Um, many folk are nervous. Almost all of us are concerned, <laughs> and so just be prayerful um, as we enter this week. But um, and go through this coming week. We we've seen so far in our scripture passage how King David is a prototype, right? A a prototype of God's final and ultimate king, Jesus Christ. And we've seen this in two ways so far. That first, he is the Lord that invites us, that sits on high, that can see us. And here's the diversity of God's people, that their diverse issues and concerns. Secondly, we saw that he can be trusted as an understanding shepherd and leader of God's people. And today, we'll see that he is the prince of God's people. So let's look again quickly at verses 2 and 3. It says here, in times past, and this is the people talking to him, the tribes are coming before him, representative uh, of each tribe, representatives of each tribe coming as elders um, before him. And it says here, in times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought us in Israel, brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be the shepherd of my people and you shall be prince over Israel. The title prince in verse two is coupled with shepherd, but it stands alone as a facet of God's chosen king for us that we must explore. They call him prince instead of the term king because prince has a different meaning and application 
than king. Prince means you're someone we can trust. You're somebody God has given for us to run our lives, to govern us, to judge between us, to be someone who can be and give the final word of right and wrong and just and unjust, lawful and unlawful, holy and unholy. Someone whom we can submit our lives fully to. A prince, as I research it, is dispatched royalty, right? A royal representative of the throne who goes out to carry out the throne's directives, who gathers people for action and conquest to, to let them know that what the throne has said. Prince, in this case, is, is someone who is sent from the Lord to the people to be the law of the people, over the people. And, and so when they come in covenant with David, they are saying, we give you control. We give you rule over what we do and how we do it. Because you represent God in charge and over our lives. And this kind of covenant they make means this, that there is nothing more to be bargained or spoken against that the king. This king, you are to be obeyed. I know this is different for us Americans, especially this time of year. But it means he cannot be fired, right? He cannot even, as the scripture teaches us, cannot even be hired, right, by us. He's not, he can't be voted out or dethroned if we don't like him or like what he's doing. This representation, this prince means to dethrone him would be the same as trying to dethrone God, right? To kill him would be attempting to remove God from our lives. To disrespect him is to disrespect God. To disobey him again is to disobey God. Jesus, God's son, the prince that David is a prototype of, said, when you see me, you see who? The father, right? That he is an exact representation on earth of divine royalty. Of course, let me be careful here, especially coming up on Tuesday. This does not directly apply to our earthly leaders. Though there are some indirect implications, we must be careful here as I talk about this because this is not a sermon on how to follow and obey your elected leaders and employers. So we're not going to take it there today. This is about obeying God's established king, not voted on, but chosen and put in place by God kind of king, right? I'm going to say something that might be difficult to hear for some of us. To have a prince, to have a ruler means that, yes, sure, you can come to your king. We saw that in, in the beginning of this, these verses, the people coming to, to their king and, and kind of presenting themselves to him and, and their concerns to him. But, but sure, you can come to your king because the prince of God, the son of, son of God has come to us. He is here to hear it all. But it also means that your king's words and actions in your life are without question. Not that you can't bring your questions <laughs> or question why. That's not what I mean. He is not in question. His wisdom, his power, his holiness, his correctness is never up for question. And in that, there is some relief, even if it viscerally feels uncomfortable at first. 
Eddie, who's sitting over here, one of our members here at Christ Central in our first week discussion as we talked about the place and biblical role of government and politics reminded us that back in Bible days, there were very few things that were done as a democracy like it is in our country. And no, I am not dogging democracy. Definitely a valid type of government. I'm, I'm cool with it. But back then, we the people did not mean put in office by the people, right? It was we the people must do what it takes to submit to the governor who is put in place beyond our control. And in the early days of the faith, believers could pray for the leader. In fact, that's all you could do. Right? It was rare that you could feel free to badmouth your leader or put a Twitter post or, 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 or start a Facebook thing on him or rebel or disobey the king or ruler or, 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 or have placards that, that, that demeans your leader, right? Or get enough people to go along with you. Insurrections happened, but they were not always viewed as the work of God, often as the opposite. And this is especially hard, again, for us Americans. Because so much about us, even our country, right? The, 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 the foundation of our country is built on rebelling against the king. Think about that. We talk about obeying your leaders and, you know, the Bible says that that person was placed in God, not when the framers of the Constitution saw it was not directly beneficial to their social, economic, and religious needs and wants, right? We're all in this country built on rebellion and protest and secession, right? So much so, our first two amendments, right? The first amendment, you can say whatever you want, right? It seems, I mean, that seems to be the, way, the takeaway from that. And then the second amendment, to, you have the right to defend your stance against tyrannical leadership or what you consider to be tyrannical leadership with the rights of the second amendment to take up arms. I'm not arguing against any of it, okay? So don't go there. Just saying, think about who we are. Because this kind of stuff is hard to hear because it is our national historical DNA to be skeptical, right? To be ready to run, ready to rebel, ready to shake free, ready to speak our minds and hearts, ready to fight. And hear this though, why? Because we're ready to be forsaken, right? The reason we have these amendments is, is we're sure, right? It, with our leadership, we're, we're sure we're going to be mistreated and, and treated, mistreated. Uh, we're going to be treated unjustly and inhumane, inhumanely by the authorities. Therefore, we are ready to be exploited. We are ready to be used by someone in authority's personal gain. We're all ready to be lied to by our national princes in office to not be considered or, or maybe put on the bottom of the waiting list. But these people before David are excited and praising and hopeful in having leadership, a ruler, a prince, a directive given by one who is supremely and divinely trustworthy. A prince in their lives for all the tribes. Y'all see that? Every tribe. We got a prince, great. We got somebody.
tell us one thing to do and we're all going to do it and be happy with it. Isn't that good news? Not normally in our country, right? But why is this good news when we see it in Scripture? You know, we love discussion groups. You know, one way, you know, you kind of grow your church and engage people is you have community groups, right? And in community groups, you don't have me up there preaching to you, right? It's not a one-way discussion. Oh, we love community groups because it's fellowship. No, yeah, that's true, but we love community groups because we get to say what we want, right? We get to share how we feel, right? And, 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 and we, we have discussion groups on everything. In fact, you're more trustworthy the more discussion groups you have. Let's have a town hall, right? We love that. And, 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 and we, 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 you know, we have discussion groups on everything and get to comment and thumbs up and down, like and unlike, block and unblock, on everything. How in the world is it good news that God has sent a prince, a law, a person who is about the one thing, who's, what he says is true, and all of us have to listen? Friends, my brothers and sisters, with a prince like Jesus, what David represented, imagine never having to rack your brain or mind whether what he has said or done or promised, regardless of the time, season, space, or experience, you don't have to worry if it's true, good, or right. Imagine that. It's so far removed. Man, if you saw, yeah, hey, Pastor Brown, you know, you're our pastor. You were called to be our pastor. Man, if you were to follow me around for a week, you'd be like, oh, no, right? Because I look at my life and I'm thinking, oh, no. This prince, the prince God is offering us, there is nothing that he is not right about. Or get this. Right therein. Like, like it, it, he is so divine. And I know I'm jumping to the Jesus, right? But he is so divine. He's already been in discussion group with you. He just gets you, gives you the opportunity to say it with your mouth. But he already knows every thought and every word before it comes off your tongue. He knows the deepest desires and problems and issues of your heart. There is nothing he isn't educated or informed about. Man, you enter discussions about politics, religion, race, gender, all kind of stuff. And, you know, there's always two or three thousand books you haven't read. Right? Some reference. Did you see what was on Google? Did you see what was on Wikipedia? Did you see this? So you don't know, my friend. Did you know they found this history book that said back then this is what we... There's nothing he doesn't know. There's not one word or one argument he hasn't looked at. He is king. He is supreme and superior and perfectly moral and holy over all things. He reigns supreme as a supreme good. So you not only can, but we must submit your determinations and conclusions and what is right and wrong to him. He is God. And praise God, we are not and thus don't have to be our own God. That's good news. You know what? I hate dealing with my issues. 
you know, some of you, you know, you take prescriptions and, and you got little health issues. You know, like some of us, you got health issues here and here, right? So I got more than one med I take, vitamins, supplements. Have a pack, right? But also with all those multiple meds and supplements are multiple opinions. Maybe that's why I got so many. Because if you go on the internet, I once told my doctor, I, I, I made an appointment with you because I was feeling something and I looked up on WebMD and I, I'm about to die 10 different ways. Right? He says, Howard, the first thing WebMD is going to show you is the worst thing. Right? You okay? I remember, I was like, I got this thing growing, and he touched me. He goes, man, put your clothes on, man. Put your shirt back on, fool. You know, it was like that feeling. Ain't nothing wrong with you, right? But I read, you start reading this stuff, right? And I look on, online about my health issues and everything. Eat meat, right? Don't eat meat. Fat is good. Fat is bad. Go vegan. Take this pill. Take this natural supplement. Uh, you know, we need to eat like we did when we were cave people. And, and think about the COVID stuff. Eat like you did when you're in Africa, right? So, I mean, think about the COVID stuff again. Somebody's news and leadership it could be fake news and false leadership. What news broadcast do I watch? Who is right with, with, with no regulation of news reporting on health or anything else? Ah, it's hard. He reigns. He rules. And he has spoken to us, y'all. Clearly enough. Now, everything is not completely clear. I, I agree. That's why folk go to school and learn about it. That's why even folk who go to school and learn about it end up coming out wrong sometimes. Right? So we know it's not easy to read all of this, but what the Bible does teach about itself is that it's clear enough for us to say, I submit my life to your rule. I order my world after your leadership, Lord, to your word, right? We, re we, we, we sung a song. I order my steps in your word. And, and you know, this, the, like, like Kelly said, it's a prayer because even when you have the word, you have to say, Lord, I see the word. I hear the word. I need you, Prince, to then take me and lead me and captain, if you will, guide my life in the word. I submit to your direction that what God has said through and with his prince's son, Jesus, that we see presented. And I know it isn't always easy to see again, but Jesus said, guess what? The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is talking about me. They are my words to you. They are my words about me. They reveal me, and as they reveal me, they reveal the truth in a person that you are called and are able and gifted and blessed to be able to follow. And so guess what we do? We put our hearts 
like they did before the throne at Hebron, right? Before David at Hebron. I don't know if he was on the throne yet, but right there at Hebron, it says, I I want to put my heart and ears and lives in a space, in your word, even possibly in worship and prayer and community and fellowship with other believers gathered around you, Lord. Any position to hear you speak and speak back to me, even if it is, if you're saying wait or no or yes or not all right now, or you can't handle it all right now. We must ask ourselves, who has authority and speaks to your hearts and minds in every single thing you do? What is informing and shaping us? When we have a prince, we are free to finally let him be who and what he is for us. The law, the leader, the Lord. But that's not all there is for us in his being our prince, just an authority figure, just someone who sends the law in direction. Someone sent me a screenshot of responses on my friend uh, Jamar Tisby's Facebook page and ministry page, Pass the Mic. And the question was posed, this was the question that was posed. What don't you want to hear the pastor say on Sunday morning after the election? (laughs) Now, Pastor Mike has a ministry, right? To people who are disillusioned, right? So they present these kind of questions as a way to bring people who may be hiding and and hurting um, in in their disillusionments or or church hurt, as some people call it, or pain. It, it, It calls them out through these questions. And so some of the responses are very honest. We don't want to hear the pastor say, mainly black folk responding, We don't want to hear God is still on the throne. And it says, we know that, right? Not what I want to hear, it says. Second one says, I don't want to hear that the powers that be are ordained by God. I'm tired of hearing King James's opinion. Well, I don't want to hear this kind of line. We don't follow a donkey or an elephant. We follow the lamb that was slain. Or I don't want to hear this. This world and kingdom is not our home. In fact, I don't want to hear anything about unity if it doesn't include justice. I understand. In fact, you understand too. Because we fear that statements and truths about God would simply become campaign slogans and pacifiers for our real pain and conflict. Christians, not y'all, I'll just say me, right? But I know some of y'all are good at dropping religious themes and using scriptures like bumper sticker material, right? We just take the prince's authority and law and just drop it. You see, 
we are all afraid of having a king in God or God presented as a king whose royalty and truth is only on the throne. Hear me now. Are for ceremony, right? That he never leaves the throne to actually do anything. You know, he just sends and dispatches his truth out in word form, right? Here it is, right? Just, just little snippets, little tweets from the kingdom, right? And, and he doesn't really actually do anything or actually call us to do or change anything. He just calls us to know a lot about the truth. He isn't really calling us to change anything. Just change ourselves personally. And it sounds that way, especially for those who need things to change and need something to be done differently. Because too often the experience of God's word, truth, and authority have been used to make those who are distant from dignity, basic human prosperity, health, and justice used to ask them to be quiet and get over it. Quit making me feel uncomfortable with your uncomfortability. Quit saying you're a Christian too and then making me feel uncomfortable about my nice, safe Christianity. Don't you know God's on the throne? And some of us hide behind instead of standing and moving on God's truth so we don't have to do or risk anything dangerous to our privileged place or security. You see what the prince is going to do? Now, we, we're going to look. We're going to look in the next chapters. He's going to say, tribe A. You know what you're going to do? You're going to go over to tribe D's hometown, and you're going to fight for them. Nuh-uh. God's on the throne. You on the throne, you go, prince of peace. You go. You came to give me peace. I feel good in my Christianity. I, I, I feel good. They, I go up to Jerusalem and pray every, I, I'm good. They'll be all right. Right? Think about it. And for those of you who are married or don't have to be married, we all do this. In an argument with Kelly, right? My wife. Things get too close to my sense of power and personal security or it looks like I'm going to have to repent for something or be wrong. It's a joke now, right? But to be like, look, baby, the Bible says with the hand, baby. <sighs> baby. <sighs> Do you know what submit means, baby? Right? I know the Greek. Right? I went to seminary for four years. Greek and Hebrew. I got the Old Testament word for submit. This is absolute truth. Right? It's the Bible! Why don't you want to hear the Bible, Right? And maybe it isn't in, 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 in your marriage, right? Because the fight gets worse because I'm trying to defend myself. And it doesn't have to be a marriage thing. Haven't you been trying, people try to mollify you with a religious line or what I would describe as a, this little lonely Bible verse. This little lonely, dangerous Bible verse. 
Maybe you grew up in that kind of religious home or church or parent. You see, God's slogans, which might even be scripture pulled out of context, can and has been wrongly used to manipulate us. And if you look back at these tribes and their problems, they were living kind of like with partial truth in each tribe. Like they, they, they didn't comp- see the complete picture, right? It doesn't matter who we are. Scripture has been used and even abused, right? Against every, I mean, all people. And while this misuse is harmful primarily for women and poor folks and people of color, we have all experienced the emptiness of what I would describe as slogan-based Christianity. Where we take the truths of God in the Bible and deal them out as an opiate for the world's pain or a defense for our, our, not God's, limitations. Because we can't see ourselves going there. We can't see ourselves stretching any further. I'm not saying, see, it's not the same thing as God's truth doesn't apply or that there isn't a truth in Scripture that would apply or there isn't some motion or movement in God's power that would apply. It means that we don't know how it applies. Where religion, where God's truth does not approach or use us fully, broadly, sincerely and effectively as God intended. You don't have to make this a social issue. I know y'all tired of hearing about social issues, right? That, that we kind of just throw a scripture or, or, or kind of uh, double down in our foundational beliefs. I'm not saying foundational beliefs are not wrong. The Bible tells us that what everything we do is based upon the foundation of scripture and the apostles and the church. I get it. So don't even try it, Right? I'm trying it in my own mind, right? I'm like, oh, oh this stuff might not sound right, right? But, but we know about the foundational truths being right. But think how many times, forget the social issues of, oh, we got to deal with these people and these disenfranchised people. Have you ever personally been disenfranchised as you deal with an issue you've never dealt with before in your life? Have you ever entered... A, a, a location, emotionally, spiritually, even physically, that you're like, I don't know what to do here, right? And you begin to recognize, wait a minute, even in this unforeseen place, even in this sort of forsaken reality I find myself in, my prince is there to lead me and bring truth to me. So if it's true for you personally, it's true for the world God's called us to go out to. You don't know, I don't know how the biblical truth is applied and ministered and brought in every situation. Yes, there's absolute truth and scripture is inerrant. It's the word of God. It is true. Right. But the Bible tells us and teaches us that in the end, all tribes, tongues, language and nations will be before the throne, which means that absolute truth is like a tent that's been stretched.
We've taken stuff like absolute truth and certain scriptures because we are overwhelmed and guilty at the same time for the diversity of problems and issues. And we just want to package them and give God's absolute truth as an excuse for the world's suffering and pain instead of a solution for the world's suffering and pain. To defend ourselves, we to be used, right? We use God's scripture like slogans as support beams for our, our tiny little life, one tribe platform issue. The king, y'all, who is a prince, is commanding us all to bring our slogans. Hear this. And our weapons and tools might be a better word than weapons, but our tools of limited justice and truth and lay them down before him again and again and again. Right? Our weapons, our coping mechanisms, our tools, our slogans, our defenses, you know what? They've become kind of dull and bent by our brokenness and our fear. It may not be as effective and loving and living in this world for our friends, for our husbands and wives, for our brothers and sisters, for our parents and communities, our neighbors, our co-workers, even our children. Here's a word many of us recognize. It is time for reformation reformation of what and how we have lived and defended our lives and faith with in the past. It doesn't mean the lessons of the past mean nothing. It doesn't mean, mean that the, the foundations of the past mean nothing. It doesn't mean that what was absolute truth is no longer absolute truth. This is what these tribes are asking for when they come before David. They are saying we have led and defended ourselves against our enemies and have tried to fix the problems between each other, between the tribes on our own. And we have failed to carry out justice. We have failed to carry out truth on our own. And according to our own fears and pain and prejudice and self-desires and ignorance, we, we need you to be our captain, which is another term for prince here. We need you to lead us and coordinate and, and recondition us for the present and coming challenges, right? Be our prince. In fact, you are God's prince and as God's people who have spent years defending God and defending the faith and defending our place, defending our place, we look to you, Jesus, to lead us into a new reformation of activism and justice and love and mercy for the challenges of this day and this generation. In this era of social justice and political unrest and socially debilitating disease. And this is going to require something that is adversarial to the DNA of Americans. We must give up our metaphorical First and Second Amendment rights to Him. What am I saying? To call David to be prince, they're saying our plans, our excuses, our words, our weapons, our tools are no longer our right. They are given for your disposal. They're given for your kingdom, for your kingdom purposes. They are given to you. And let me tell you what this is when people do that. When they come before the throne, like you see here, and they say, you're our prince. God's made you our prince. They, they are basically taking their weapons and their authority as elders over the individual tribes and saying, here, Lord. And you know what they're saying? We repent. We relent. We give in. You're the Lord. 
It means that our weapons and warfare and tools of survival are handed over to your lordship. Not just once, y'all. The Bible is asking us to do this. Not just once when you walk the aisle as a kid or were baptized. And not just once when you recognize and accept the fight against abortion or poverty. Not once when you became a Calvinist. Not once according to when you saw how it would benefit your business or tax bracket. Not when you once realized that it was all about racial reconciliation. Not then. But now, today, tomorrow, and forever, we must continually come and repent and lay down all of those campaigns that have become slogans and weapons that have become defenses and sign up to let the Lord lead us and to follow him who is actively moving and reforming this world and society. That as the people of God, like the Israelites, the Lord who made you and his and saved you out of so many things, this prince is calling us to repent and reassess and reset our lives because we all have gone astray. I know I have. I, I don't always want to admit it. I don't want to say, hey, Jesus, hey, you're the Lord. What you think about this tool? Nah. It's become selfish. Well, Lord, this same tool, you know, it, it was used to bring many to faith, Lord. Yeah, that's great. Tool meaning your cultural means of getting things done, right? Not that the truth has changed or the scripture has changed. Don't get that twisted. But this is the way I've always gone about doing things. This is the way I've always seen the world, Lord. And Jesus says, sorry, son. Lay it down. Give it to me. We all have let our fears and desires and pain lead us for too long. We've all allowed our successes, and privileges and power to lead us too long. God has sent a king to receive our repentance, to have an attitude and work adjustment and activate us to be a kingdom of love expressed and changing us and the world around us as he sees fit now, today, always and forever. We don't have a prince who just died and and left the good book. That's what separates Christianity from from so many other religions and philosophies and ways of living. Our author is not dead. He's alive. He's on the battlefield. He's at work in your life. He's at work in this world. The question is, where are you? And in 2020, it seems to be, he seems to be doing something that's making us all uncomfortable. I'm included. I try not to be a prophet and say this is what Jesus is doing. But... It just seems, emphasize the word seems, to be captaining and leading and commanding us to face the world and social injustice and question our political commitments and our attitudes towards race, gender, and class anew. Why? He is facing the church towards the challenges of a pandemic as it eats our financial, physical, and social stability. He is having us see just how loosely our religion has been holding us and how we are so easily taken by nationalism or self-protection and prosperity and anger and fear. He is calling us to face the weaknesses of evangelicalism and its myopic ways so far. 
And now our weapons don't look so great. Our tools, the way we've always done things. Repent. Relent. Release. Here's what must recognize. This was hard for me to hear too. There will be no activism. Not gospel activism. No revival. No bridge building. No understanding. No gospel progress. Only slogan throwing and trying to get back to the way things were when it was easy for us or, or, or to running away or criticizing or getting left behind or forming walls between us and staying away from the mess and brokenness, we will be stuck making Christianity about the stagnant, cul-de-sac, spiritually safe and social suburban uh, suburb uh, of gentrifying reality when it is so much more above what we have been able to ask, expect, or experience yet. We will not be able to move if we don't come to the Lord as our captain and say, take all my ways, take all my days, take all my experiences and use them how you will. Change and shape me and take me where you will as you will. Now, I cannot and will not make the fact that God is on the throne untrue. I don't care if you don't like it. I can't make it untrue. But you must know that is not all the truth. They call him prince because it means the king left his throne to get his hands dirty. Prince means that the king got in the middle of our mess to not just throw spiritual slogans at us, but to reshape our minds and hearts, reshape our words and weapons, to lead the people of God into new places and spread the tent of his grace wider, to cover more people in places that are alienated, to take us into action, to cause movement, to bring revolution, reformation and redemption first to us and then to this world, to lead us into real pain and danger, to lead and use all the tribes to reach out, to fight for one another, to, be, to, to use and order people to be the voice for those suffocated by oppression, to be justice for us who feel we have to defend and shoot for ourselves. Look at verse 3 as we close this out. It says here, so all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord they anointed David king over Israel. Do y'all see the first half of that? The Bible says that David made a covenant with them. Again, here we go. They didn't vote him in. They didn't, couldn't choose it. They didn't and couldn't choose him. He made the connection, right? He committed himself to be their prince. So this is not about the people's choice. This is God's choice for us. And here is the good news, right? He is not, therefore, a human campaign slogan. He's a living person who is also God, who's chosen to work with and for us. David is saying, I come in covenant to go to the streets, to the people, to those who are distant and cut off from God's blessing for him to choose the covenant as he does. He is saying, I come to you. I come down from the throne with you. I go before you. I walk not just before you to follow, 
but I walk with you to be saved and behind you to keep you from falling and turning back. I've done many weddings. So many in here have had the privilege to marry. I think Kelsey and Ed, y'all knew, right? When were y'all married? Yesterday. Pastor Omari married Dan? Oh, the 10th. Three weeks y'all been married? Y'all knew, right? (laughs) Saw the video. Some of you in here, you know, and, and at the end of every wedding, I know there is a kiss, right? Sealed with a kiss. You may kiss the bride. And in in, in other traditions, a a consummation, right? After the words, after the ring, after the promises, there is a real, a physical connection where they are transformed into action, into living together, into living life together as one. I know the images of Prince Charming are tired and played out, thanks Disney. But more often than not, it is about a Prince Charming whose kiss transforms a sleeping princess and breaks a spell. And that is what it has meant for Jesus like David did to covenant with us. It is God and Jesus coming to our broken broken world to kiss us, to incarnate, to touch and experience our distant, sinful, painful humanity and for us sleeping or drugged by apathy and pain to make us woke, to awaken us to new life. And then kissing us and loving on us again and waking us and vigoring us again and again to new action, to new reality, to new redemption. But the story of the Bible has a twist to that theme. Because in the spirit of the beauty and the beast story, when Jesus decided to be our prince, to lead us, to fight for us, to redeem and reform us, he kissed what was ugly, deformed, malformed, and beastly in us and the world around us. And the beautiful Prince Jesus became a beast on the cross so that we could become royalty. So that we could again and again, even after we get ugly again, or ugliness surfaces, or we get stuck in believing and acting ugly, we have an ever-present prince who kisses us and welcomes us back to his beauty over and over, giving his beauty and power and taking our ugliness and pain. Whatever it is, as the second Psalm says, I call you today to kiss the sun. Kiss your prince. And in doing so, let and pray that the sun kisses you. He's our prince, transforming us and transforming our world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Help us all repent. You are king and prince. You sit on the throne, but you act. You work, you save us, you rescue us, you're our hero. Pray for us, because we don't know where you're taking us next all the time, Lord. (laughs) We don't know what the next challenge is going to be. We don't know how much that's going to leave us feeling inept or lost or 
feeling like we're in a different generation now, or questioning what we've learned. Lord, put us in a place where we can hear your word, where we definitely can see your law and your holiness and accept the way that you've ordered things in your sovereignty. But at the same time, Lord, I pray for us to see that you're active. You are not just a word. The Bible says you are the word become flesh who dwelt among us to save us. I pray that your people would, would repent, which means they're going to turn away from their ways, which may have become ugly and nasty and defensive and selfish and lay them down before you. Lord, we've done this in all of our relationships. Help us to do that. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.